Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett. My passion for football and pushing boundaries has helped me to create a successful business using the same performance building principles of the world's best players. Through my Move the Ball book, workshops, and consulting work, I've used the same system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize those tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. A few things before we get into today's episode. First, and I say this on every show, if you have not already done so, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also, if you like the show, please share it with a friend or two or three. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. And lastly, you all know that we launched the Move the Ball merchandise store. There is a link in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Get yourself some swag and rock that you are a part of the move the ball movement, because, you know, for us together, we do move the ball. All right. For today's episode, I've got an awesome guest with us inside the huddle with us today and ready to talk about his experience and what he does to move the ball is Andre Anthony. Dre, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Glad to be on. Well, I'm excited to have you here with us. I know that since the draft, you were down in Tampa, busy, had rookie minicamp, OTAs, mandatory minicamp. And then you've been on the move in New Orleans and Baton Rouge and Houston. You're back in Louisiana now. So you're just always on the go. I appreciate you making some time for us to chat. So let me just share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Dre is an NFL linebacker who currently plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he was drafted by the Bucs during the seventh round of this year's NFL draft. Dre played college football at LSU, where he was a part of LSU's 2019 National Championship football team. We will talk about that and more on today's show. All right, Dre, are you ready to move the ball? I'm ready. All right. So I mentioned that, first off, you played at LSU. You've had some of your former teammates on the show that were also part of that championship team. We had them on my Path to the Draft series that I do earlier in the year, Ed Ingram and Jamal Pettigrew. So it's nice to see them out there and excited to see them suit up here in a few weeks as well. So shout out to, to those guys. Those are awesome dudes, as you know. So let's run things way back. You're from New Orleans. I was recently down there, super hot and humid, by the way. Oh, my goodness. You went to Edna Carr High School, where another NFL great went, Mr. Pat Sertan. That's my guy. So shout out to Pat. He was on the show earlier this season as well. But what I wanted to ask you about is just tell us, how did you get into football? And what about the game made you fall in love with it? I got it kind of early. My dad pushed me into it. Growing up, I kind of wanted to be like a police officer. Mm-hmm. Football wasn't in my mind uh, at the point in time. And then my dad was in video games. So my dad was like, look, you got to get out of the house. And he kind of pushed me out there, put me out there at the park. And uh, New Orleans, I played for Ready Saints. And then ever since then, it just took off. And as it took off for me, I found it as a, a way to help my family uh, and my mom as an opportunity for me to get a free education. And it's something I fell in love with, too. 
and my listeners know that I've been a student of the game since I was four years old. And everyone who listens to the show regularly knows that this whole move the ball movement started because I wrote a book on football called Move the Ball. Shocker. And in that book, I talk about different principles and lessons and strategies that I've taken away from the game of football to help me kind of be successful in what I've done in my career and life. And so I want to get your perspective outside of the discipline, the hard work, like the teamwork, the obvious things that a team sport like football can teach. What are some of the other lessons that you have taken away from being a competitive athlete and from football specifically? Taking advantage of opportunities. That's like one of the biggest takeaways. And that's what helped me excel coming into where I am today. You know, after those guys left, it was kind of my opportunity to make that next step and become that leader and that guy on the field as a starter. And I just took that opportunity and went with it. And just not even in that, just opportunities for like meeting people, using my pedestal at LSU, using my networking, uh, the people around here, using that as an opportunity to get to know people, no faces, you know. So that was like the biggest takeaway for me is just always taking advantage of opportunity. You never know when it's going to come, but when it does come, you, you have to take full advantage of it. And you've always got to stay ready so you can be ready to take advantage of those opportunities. But I like that you talk about that because I think those people that are really successful in life are always looking for what's that next thing that I can capitalize on. And they're very proactive. And so I think that's important. The other thing that I like that you mentioned, you know, on the show, we talk about business and branding. And so leveraging your brand as a football athlete playing at LSU, winning a net, you know, leverage that status or that part of your brand as a way to continue to build and develop your network so that you're creating other opportunities is fantastic. And I coach a lot of corporate professionals as well as athletes on, hey, this is what you should be doing, you know, looking at how you can take advantage of opportunities and using your brand to leverage that. Right, right, exactly. So another thing that I think you would agree with too is that you know, no matter what your profession is, you're always needing to look at how you can improve, how you can reach that next level, right? We talk about getting 1% better every single day is kind of the focus. And so when you look at, you're in the off season now, what are some of the things that you're really focused on this off season to improve upon so that when you show up, come training camp, you'll be even more ready to go? So I'm coming off a ACL injury from last season, my senior year at LSU. So my biggest focus coming off that and getting back into playing and doing stuff that I do, my biggest thing is right now is flexibility. The main thing, obviously, my health, getting that back straight and just getting back into like the skills and drills and stuff that I haven't done in so long because six months I've just been rehabbing. So that's why I took the time to spend a week with BT, getting back to the fundamentals and the techniques of what I do now, I'm about to spend a week with Mo, just get back to that more form, form running, strength and conditioning and stuff like that. So it helped me. So when I come into camp and also to gain that confidence back with my knee. So that was like the biggest focus for me this offseason. And you mentioned two great guys, Coach BT Jordan, as well as Mo Wells. Mo was on the show last season, but both of those guys are elite at what they do, and they certainly know how to help players perform at their best and get ready. So shout out to those guys as well. And you mentioned your injury. I was going to ask you about that. So we'll just jump there. So your senior season, you ended up playing in three games, and then you had the injury in LSU's win over Central Michigan. What was that like? I mean, this is your senior year. You know that you're not coming back the next year. And then to have this season-ending injury, like mentally, how was that for you? From the beginning, it was kind of tough. So my freshman year, I had had a list frank injury. I mean, I was kind of in like a little depression and stuff like that. I didn't know really how to handle it. It was my first injury ever. So learning from that and where not to go from 
when I told my ACL, I just knew what I needed to do and where not to go. I didn't want to go in that depression and that little sinkhole where I'm like, you know, it's all over or something like that. Like, I didn't want to go back past. So my main thing was to still, you know, it was still the season was still going on. So still be that team leader, still be around those guys and make sure I'm grinding the same amount of time that I put into practice. I mean, in the game, put that in the training room, just rehabbing and trying to get back out there with them and also watching them practice, coming going with them to the game, just to still stay in it, no matter, you know, what was going on with me. Like, I was still there for them and still was going to be that leader. So that was the main thing to keep me focused. It was good for my mental health just to be around them every day and still focus on the grind. The grind is just different. I'm just going to be rehabbing and trying to make sure I'm back on the field. And it definitely paid off because Cody, I was able to go out there and, you know, put up great numbers, considering the fact that I just had told my ACL six months. For sure. And as you know, becoming a better player doesn't just take place on the football field. There's a lot of grind, like you mentioned, outside of that. And so there's the weight room, film room. And just by being on the sideline, too, like you mentioned, and watching your teammates and your peers, how do you feel this injury helped you to become a better player? I definitely built my character. At first, you know, we all go through adversity, obstacles through our lives. It's just like how you overcome it. But this is one of those situations like how will I be better when I come out of this? Will I find out about myself going through this that I didn't know? Stuff like that. The biggest thing was just how I handled the situation. You know, some people could have just been like, I'm done, it's over with, you know, because it was frustrating. Like we have and not being able to do the stuff. It could be frustrating and mentally draining. But it's just like, you know, stay focused. Like, you know, with the end goal that you're trying to get to. And obviously you're trying to prove to people that, you know, you can still be back to where you were. Some people may not even get to come back from ACL injury are not the same. I didn't want that, you know, my story. You know, I want to come back better than ever. And that was like my whole mindset. Oh, I love that. And you actually wrote a wonderful note to the Tiger family. And you thanked the fans saying, I'll never forget the thrill rushing moments and infectious energy the fans gave me every Saturday in Death Valley. And then you also talked about how adversity builds characters, citing your high school head coach, Bryce Brown. And so when you look at the energy the fans gave you. I mean, it, being in Death Valley is incredible, just like any SEC stadium. And so what are the things that you'll really take away from your LSU experience? We'll talk about the Natty in a little bit. So just in general, like, what is it like for you getting to play in Death Valley and just being around all that energy? The main thing is the fans. The fans make it fun. Obviously, your teammates make it fun, but the fans just make it 10 times. You're running out that tunnel and it's like the stands are like, you know, packed. And it's like, you can barely hear yourself think when you're on the field. It's just so loud. It's so loud that we have to practice like that as well. We just, we're in the indoor and we have like a crowd and it's the volume is like turned up and we can't even talk to each other. But stuff like that is just so electric and we feel off them. Uh, what, 2020, when we was going like the COVID year and you can barely have fans and stands, like it was a big drop off compared to obviously 2019 and years before that. But it was just like, we feed off that energy from the fans. They're going crazy. It just makes it like, okay, yeah. Like, and they obviously came to see us and support us and they wanted to see us to be good. And we want them, you know, to feel that from us, you know, by going out there and doing what we need to do and winning. But that energy is just unmatched. Sure. I have a slightly different opinion. I'm a little bit biased. I do think that there's another stadium that has just a little bit more energy. We won't, we won't name any names. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned the COVID year. I mean, it's definitely a year of adjustment and adapting for all of us. How was that like for you? Again, no fans in the stands, like you mentioned. How do you guys stay motivated during that year? And just kind of walk us through the transition, the change that you went through in this year of unknowns and, and somewhat chaos. It was just a lot going on. Obviously, with the season, we didn't know if we were playing the season. If we were playing the season, we weren't able to practice and be around each other. Then you had the whole situation with the Black Lives Matter stuff going on. 
Then we get back, you know, they only had like, it was a straight 10 games, it's all SEC games, no fans. So it was just like a whole big change for us. Wow. Everything on the outside was just going on. So it was like big for us to kind of focus in on when we're in the building, like we're focusing on football. You know, when we're out the building, we can handle what's going on outside of that. It was tough for some people. It definitely was tough considering what was going on. We just kind of had to lock in. I mean, really depend on each other, teammates, coaches. That's really all we had at that point in time. It was just a big adjustment for everybody. I think we handled it pretty, pretty well. And you know, we all have to adjust and adapt in life. It's just, whether there's a COVID year or something else. So if there was something that you would say to someone to kind of help someone that might be going through a change right now and having to really adapt, what would that piece of advice be that you would give someone? In a situation like that, you got to control what you can control. Focus on what you can focus on and focus on what you can change. You know, some stuff you just you just can't change. Do what you got to do. That would be my biggest thing. Uh, control what you control. That's a saying that's pretty common in football, right? But it's a very important one because it's so easy to get caught up in external factors and things that you don't have any control over or any influence over, but then you're distracted by all these other things. So really honing in on the things that you do have control over and can take action on is really an important thing because that's what you can affect. Those are the changes that you can implement. Exactly. So we got to talk about the natty. Definitely an exciting year for you all. Undefeated season. What would you share? Was like, what was that whole year like for you? Uh, surreal. It was definitely surreal. Man. Like that. That season was just like unexplainable. It, it just was the greatest season of all times. It's just like with the, the players we had. I mean, all across the board from like talking about to running backs, quarterback, line, D line, linebackers. Like we just had it was it. We had that all American team. But outside of even that, we just had camaraderie. Like that team was like family still to this day. Like we call each other, we hang out together, like, you know, like to somebody else, you know, they might be these these pop stars or these big guys. To us, they just, you know, our brothers. But it's like I said, that big thing for us, that camaraderie, that that family that we had. That made us so tight. And then we just, we, like I said, when, when it came to practices and stuff like that, we were a family. We, we grind. We knew, it, we knew it when it was time to grind. We knew it was time to play. But that season, that is just that I don't think that'll ever, ever be, be matched. <laughs> no, I don't think it'll ever be matched. I mean, definitely great chemistry on the team. You could see how well everyone gelled. A lot of talent, of course, but it's not just about the talent. You got to play well together and the relationships. That you have. So, you know, some great guys on the team that are in the league today, Justin Jefferson, Christian Fulton, Jamar, Joe Burrow, Grant Delpit, a whole bunch of them. And so when you look at that team, outside of the fact that you guys like worked well together, like what about those guys made them special? They were, they were, you know, guys who wanted to be. I know that's what, you know, that's cliche too, but that's like what it is, is you had guys who like, you got like Christian Fulton going with Jamar Chase and everything. Like, look at this thing, like what made things so great right now. He's going against Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall every day. You know, you have no choice but to get better. When you're going against these guys like that, uh, these first-rounders every day at practice, it, you have no choice but to be great. So the, the competitiveness on that team and at that practice just made us so great because you just had great guys all across the board. So there was run, no running from them. And that made the other guys better. So that's like the, the biggest thing, the competitive nature of, of everybody that was on that team, Mike. Somebody's going to get the best out of somebody one day. And it's like, okay, bet. I'm going to get you back the next day. When it came game day, it was just like, I, I go against the best guy every day. It's nobody better than him. So how can I be beat? 
So that was like the biggest thing was that the competitive nature of that team. And as I'm listening to you, you made me think of an episode we did last season. I'm going to bring up Bama, sorry, but I had to to bring it in there. And another guy from Louisiana that was on the show, Shaheem Carter, Shai was a DB at Bama. And I asked him, you know, why did he go to Bama? And what he said was that Bama had that it factor. And the same thing to your point, it was about the guys that he would be going up against were first rounders or future first rounders, right? And so it's the, the caliber of the people that you're around. And so that's no matter whether you're on the football field or off, like who you're surrounding yourself with, you want to align yourself with those top-notch people because those are the ones that are going to help you get better. Oh, right. And not only on on the field, but off the field too, just as being like a brother, you know, letting them know what's right, right, what's right and wrong, you know, not being that yes man, like, like, like bro, you were wrong. And even back off the field with, with football-wise, just like, you know, guys commit to each other, like, look, what you was thinking when you did this move on me, uh, stuff like people, we're learning from each other. Even though we probably played two different positions, we're still learning from each other. Like I said, on the field and off the field. So like I said, it's just that camaraderie, that competition. Everybody just wanted to be great. And we didn't expect nothing that's from each other. So that's what made us even better. And listening to that, you made me think of another thing. I mean, it's the culture that you have and the communication that you have with the people around you and being able to question or challenge respectfully certain things. And I mean, before I went into the world of entrepreneurship, I used to work for GE. And one of the things I really loved about working for that company was that we could have what we call healthy debates where people would have disagreeing viewpoints on different things, but the egos were checked at the door, the emotions, it was just strictly business and people respected other people's opinions. And that's also another important thing when you're aligning yourself with people, you want to have people that are not the yes people that are going to tell you that you're great. Like they're going to challenge you on things that they don't agree with because you're not always right. Exactly. True. True. Yeah. And that's why I like being around with guys. Like even to today, like I was out there training with Caleb Horn in Houston and I love working with Kay because we, we're going to challenge each other. We're going to compete. If I'm wrong, he going to let me know. Like, hey, bro, well, again, you, you, that didn't look right. You didn't do that right. Same thing with BT too, but I just love like being around because I know Kay, um, you know, make sure I'm good. I'm going to make sure he do it. We're not going to stop till it's, it's done right. So just stuff like that. And that's just been something that was started, like I said, 2019. Yeah, so it's it's been the same every time we go train to work out. Like that's just how it is. It's competition, and we're gonna make sure we're doing it. You know, doing it right, and we're gonna be on each other about whatever we're doing. We're gonna be each on each other. So that's why I love those guys for sure. And so now I mentioned how I asked Shy about why Bama. I'm gonna ask you. You're from New Orleans. Why LSU? It's always LSU. There's no if ands or buts about it. I. Like coming out of the car, that's where I want to go. But I couldn't do, you know, just say like, look, I want it. Because crazy part, LSU was my last offer. I done did countless workouts. I done did private workouts. I went to every camp. And they were, I was getting offered from Bama, Ole Miss, all these SEC schools. And they were my last offer. I done did workouts with Coach O, Les, Frank, all of them. And like I was, but I was willing, like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this offer. And you know, had other schools coming in and offering me, like, look, we know you want to go to LSU, but we're going to offer you anyway just in case you decide to change your mind. So it was like already, you know, and then once I once I got that off, I think like week, I wanted to commit that moment, but Rice was like, no, nah, no, nah, you can't, you can't. It's too early. Just give it a week, you know. And, you know, I waited and I was like, damn, it was just like, but yeah, LSU was, since I was a kid, couldn't see myself nowhere else other than LSU. And Coach O was the head coach when you guys won the Natty. When you look at the time that you got to spend with Coach O and under his leadership, what in your mind makes him a great leader? 
me and Coach O had like a great relationship. I started when he came in. I came in when he came in, and I left when he left. But one of the things I love about Coach O, he's he's passionate. You know, he's going to get the best out of you every day. <laughs> like practice, I'm talking workouts. Like he's going to get it out you. And like even now, like the whole tr- transition from the league now, like the way he coached and that passion he has, he, he's going to get it out you. Like I said, that's one thing. But his his passion was one thing about it. Like especially D line. Even as the head coach, he stayed with us. He stayed in the room with us. He want uh, practice and walk around. He'll be right there with us, D-line wise. But he just had that heart for D-line. But one thing about him that I took away was his passion for the game and how he wanted to bring the best out of everybody. And he was going to demand nothing but greatness. For some people, you know, it's it's like they take offense to it. You know, like you're always on me and stuff like that. But it's just like his love for the game and then like how he wanted. You know, you to be great and wanted you to be bring out the best in you every day. And he wasn't great, nothing less. Yeah, and that's what great leaders do, right? I mean, first, they're passionate about whatever it is they're involved with and what they're leading. Second, they're focused on how can I make the people be the best version of themselves and contribute the most to this team by bringing that better version of them out. Right. And so I think those are great qualities that, that he exhibits and also that are necessary for anybody that's in a leadership capacity. So Let's fast forward and, you know, the time has come, you've hung up those cleats or, you know, you had the injury, but now the, 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 the college cleats are officially hung up and you're getting ready for the draft. And so you just got cleared days before pro day and, you know, pro day is, it's a nerve wracking experience for anybody. And you had such short notice to prepare because of when you got cleared before pro day. So, I mean, how did you stay mentally locked in? How are you feeling going into your pro day? Like I said, it was like for me, it was last minute like decision. I came to my PT and I was, you think I should do play? Like just, and he was like, you feel like you can do it? But I was, well, I didn't have no training. I didn't have, I was like, well, look, you can go out there and show them something, you know, just to show them like, obviously, you know, they, they come in and talk to the staff and stuff to see where I'm at rehab wise. But if I can go out there and show them something would be even great. So I think it was like a week, a week or two before, I mean, I had just got cleared to do like, you know, non-contact stuff. So we, me and my PJ, like, let's go run some 40s. So we was running 40s. We did like two or three of them and I was clocking like four sevens, and which was kind of good considering the fact, like I said, I had no training on straight off of ACL. So it was just like, okay, that's not bad to go so scout. Okay, four sevens, imagine, you know, what he can run if he was healthy or he had the proper training. So okay, well we we put in the books. Okay, we want to do four. Let's do four. Let's let's do that. Then we did like the drills, hoops, and stuff D line that they probably would have did, and that felt great. So he was like, "Look, we can just at least do those two things and probably bench for Cody. That'll be that'll be great." Even though it was starting nervous, it's like, "Okay, now I'm like kind of nervous." I only had like really a week and a half to prepare, so we just kind of started. We run forties every day when the other guys started coming in, like. John Trey, Austin, all those guys, they kind of were giving me like tips on what they was learning from. Cause they was like, Oh, you can do something. Like, yes. Yeah. So it was giving like 40 wise, like do my stance or what I need to work on, stuff like that. Bench was, I started, you know, going crazy and getting ready to see how I was going to prep myself for the bench. I mean, then drills was just something like, you know, I've been doing for years. So I just at least going out there and doing what I can do. So when it got to coding, and the scouts was going around asking everybody, you know, what are you doing today? And I told them, you know, I'll be doing the bench, the 40, and the drills. And they were like, whoa. They were like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, they didn't expect me to do anything. And they was like, look, just be careful. Like, 
baffled. You know, they was like, we didn't think we didn't expect to be doing anything. Considering that I just got cleared, and then I go out there, run a four six three. I wanted to run again because I was like, if I ran that my first time, I probably could have get like a, a four five nine or something like that. Um, but my PT was like, nah, that was enough. And I like you just you know open up eyes, and then obviously bench was good, and then I went out there and did everything for drills. And like I said, I'm considering like the stuff that we do and having an AC. ACL injury because, you know, we do a lot of bending and knee bending and twisting and stuff like that. So just to go out there and show them that and what I could do off of like six months. Of, and like I said, just straight rehab and stuff like that. So it's real big. And I think that's what really helped me in the draft coming like, okay, well, he's he's healthy. He's been on grinding. You know, imagine where he could be once he's 100, 100%. And knowledge right now is just the mental part of it, just trusting my knee, knowing that it's better and stuff like that. And you mentioned the draft. So on Saturday, you ended up getting the phone call from Coach Bowles and, and you know, the, the Tampa Bay staff letting you know that they were going to select you. How was that learning that you were going to be a buck? It was crazy. <laughs> it was like an unbelievable moment. Like you see those phone calls, like, you know, from other guys, you know, you see it on TV and all that stuff like that. But, you know, just first of all, like it's just nerve wracking sitting there waiting and watching. We just like, man, you see people calling you, you don't know who is who because they trying to win. You know, they don't know nothing. So it's not calling me. I'm just going to wait. So I was on the phone with my agent and I saw that Tampa Bay area code. And usually if a team like it's from their area, if it's a scout, it's, you know, their, their cell number or their area code. It's not going to be where the school is from. So when I saw the area code number coming, I kind of knew but what they said Tampa Bay. I was like, yeah. And talking on the phone and you hear those words, this is, from the Bucks and we want to draft and stuff like that. So just getting that phone call and starting that conversation, just everything started running through your head, everything that you've been to that point. It's just like, it was, it's crazy. It's emotional, like real emotional. Oh, I can imagine. I have not obviously experienced it, but I can imagine that. And I've, I've seen the posts that you posted too about the phone calls. So oh, yeah, it was, it was like one of those phone calls. That, that's what you work so hard for. Yeah, getting that phone call, seeing your name pop up on the screen. That's what you work all these years from from middle league to high school to college. That's what you you try to get to. So I'm glad and blessed to you know have the opportunity to you know playing in the film. And how stressful was it? I mean, you're waiting. You just came. You just got cleared a little bit before. You did great on your pro day, but you know you, nobody knows where they're going to go, right? And so you wait and you wait and you wait for your name to get called. On that Saturday, there were five other LSU players that also got called um and so you know you're, you're just wait like how stressful is it to just sit there and not know where you're going to go or if you're going to go it's it is stressful it is stressful and then you have teams still like you know checking on you so it like makes it 10 times like they're checking on like checking on you makes you good you know everybody got questions you know family you know, around so they all got questions uh, and it's just like for, for us it's just like Man, it's, it's a nerve wracking because you don't you don't know where you want to go. You literally don't know. You don't know when that phone is going to ring. Like it's just like sitting and waiting for for hours, especially day three. You're just waiting for for hours. And I'm texting my guys like who got drafted. Like come on, me and come on, text back and forth. Like you know, and he texts me. He was like, look, it's, it's coming for both of us. Like he was like, it's coming. We don't know, but hey, it's it's coming. So when it finally came, it's like I said, we just we prepared ourselves for this moment. It was like well deserved. So now it's just like preparing ourselves. We already prepared ourselves. So now it's just taking that next step and being great. 
And it was a great draft for LSU. Second highest total for LSU players in a single draft with 10. The only other one that was higher was in the 2020 draft when LSU had 14 players going. So how long from, with a lot of guys, like you get the phone call, the draft happens, and then you're on a plane the next day to your team. When did you hop on the plane to Tampa? I probably had like a week before I left, um, before all, all the stuff, uh, OTAs and, and stuff like that for rookie minicamp. So I had like a week to prepare myself. And then we got out there. So I was out there for like a month or two. And, you know, it was regular, you know, going, you know, physicals, you straight to it. You straight to rookie minicamp, you straight to OTAs, and you straight to mandatory with the guys. And we got to stay extra, you know, two weeks. So we hit the ground rolling since day one. Well, you know, after physical, the next day, it was, it was, it was moving. So you had to, but it was, it was good though. You know, like you had vets around and stuff like that, helping you out, letting you know the way you know, what to do, what not to do. So you have like a great, it's a great locker room, I must say. Like, I love that locker room. It's for like, I've been knowing those guys for a long time outside, you know, like, obviously, Landers, Cyril, Russ, and all those, Devin. But like, just meeting these these new guys from different places and just taking us in as like their own, you know, brothers and letting us know and showing us the way. So that was like one of my big things that I loved about it. But being up there, being around like the rookies, you know, getting, you know, we spent a lot of time together the academy meetings and stuff like that. So it's been really good. I, I definitely love it up there. And just the view itself uh, of Tampa, it's amazing. And, and the Bucks are one of those organizations that has a great culture around it. Definitely some great players on the team for sure, but also some great coaching staff. I mean, obviously when Coach Arians was there, he did a fantastic job and he's still in the front office. You've got Coach Lori Locust, who is there. Coach Lowe, I love. She was on our show back in season one in 2020. So excited to see her out there as well. Like, what do you appreciate the most about the coaching staff that you've gotten to interact with? I appreciate the fact that it feels like it, it was no fall off. Like I was at LSU, really starting at car. Like, it was like a family. Like I looked up those, those coaches, like they were like, you know, kind of like father figures, big brothers, stuff like that. Same thing when I got to college, like we just had that. The staff was just so close to each other. And then same with him. Like you can just you can tell just going into like how coach that staff is, how the players are so connected with the coaches. So where they can just it's easy to, to go in their, their office and just sit down and chill. We ain't gotta talk football. Let's just talk about life, how your family doing like this stuff like that. And you get that from those coaches. Like it's bigger, obviously, it's bigger than football. Obviously, you know, when it's time to focus on the X and O, and then it's time to focus on look how you are as a person. That's what they they care about, you know, and they know so much about you. Which is crazy too. When I got up there, I was just like, oh wow. It was really no follow. So like I said, from being at cars, I like, felt like I was being at home. Like I just been like I said, you were know, the coach staff. I feel like I've been on them forever. I'm still getting, you know, names and stuff like that. But it's just like, man, like it's crazy. Like it's no disconnect from upstairs and with the players. It's like everybody's one big, you know, family team, obviously. I mean, you, you don't get that a lot of places, which is and let's be honest, you, you, you really don't. Where there is a disconnect from upstairs and, and the players. But up there, I feel like, yeah, it's definitely like a, one big family. And, and that's how a great organization should be run, whether it's a football organization or some other company. It's a, it's about business when there's a time for business, but it's also about getting to know people as human beings and making them feel like they're a part of not only a team, but part of a family. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's how I say, like, the biggest thing is like, it's like a family. 
Like we were all one big family and all the coaches are are pretty young too, which makes it easier to, like I said, it just they're easy to just uh, they go talk to, um, chill with, talk football, whatever the case is. We got something going on. We need help, you know, help, anything. And that's just not with the coaching staff, the training staff, too. Like, and I heard before I even got there, like, but we want to love the staff, we want to love the, the players. And so I got there. It's definitely holds to be true. So I definitely love it. And we're still a little bit out from the season, but what excites you the most about this upcoming season? One plan in that statement. Playing in that stadium is huge. We went to the stadium all the rooms. Got the uh, walk out there, get cannons go off. And when I heard those cannons go off, the trying to send like chills. You know, it's just it was just like crazy. You know, like I said, you just used to seeing it on TV, you playing the game, now it's you're in it. That and putting on that that Bucks gear and going out there and obviously doing something you've been doing your whole life, but in front of a bigger audience. You're on a bigger stage now. So I look forward to just playing in that stadium going out there and getting some sacks. We look forward to seeing you get some sacks out there on game day. So what I want to do now, Dre, is I want to run you through my two-minute drill and ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. First question is, when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? A police officer. Not surprising, since you mentioned that earlier. What three words would you use to describe yourself? Energetic, competitive, and exciting. (laughs) Okay. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? I'm a shoe head. I love shoes. Oh, I mean, but one thing everybody knows, I love food because I post that all the time. But shoes, I love I love shoes. Shoes and food. If you had one song, an intro song, that could be played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be? I'll just say Aha by, by Lil Dirk. Okay. What book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I'm reading these two right now. This one. Then I do my daily devotion. That's really kind of the reading I do most mornings. Gotcha. Next question is, you are hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? Michael Jackson, Rahway, what does it say, Ray Lewis. Okay. And the last question is, do you sing in the shower? Yes. I love to sing. I, I, you would think I had an amazing voice. I sing all day, every day. But do you have an amazing voice? Yeah. Okay. I do. All right. I think I do, but, you know, know, haters going to hate. You know what I'm saying? I gotcha. So as we look to end our show, let people know, where can they follow you? Where are you at on social media? On IG, underscore, underscore, Dre Anthony 7. Twitter, Dre Anthony 7. Facebook, really for family. So if you follow me on there, just keep my family updated. Because you know, they're all scattered everywhere. I don't really get on LinkedIn. So the best way to catch me is Instagram and Twitter. I'm definitely on there. I try to get to all my requests and all my DMs. So I definitely try to see. All right, perfect. We will have those social links in our show notes so people can follow you on your journey. Well, Dre, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. Again, if you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend or two or three. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And then also check out the show notes so you can follow Dre on his journey. And you can also check out the Move the Ball merchandise and rock that you're a part of the movement. All right. Thanks again for listening. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. 
to see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball in your business with your brand or your career, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.